Martinen is now second, and although the Escort design may be 15 years old, it's not showing its age. Hello everyone, you're listening to Rally DNA for what will be the penultimate episode of Season 2. I'm Killian Cronin, and by my side as ever is the Anglo half of this Anglo-Irish partnership, Jamie Arkell. Jamie, how are you doing today? Fantastic, thanks mate. Thank, thank you very much. How about yourself? Very good. Looking forward to, to our guest today, I think. Um, And today's guest is someone I fear will have maybe so many stories for us. We'll have to do a season all for him, a man responsible for some iconic Ford rally cars, amongst other things, and who worked with some true greats of the sport, Mr. Raymond Charette. Ray, welcome along to Rally DNA. Thanks very much for coming on. Uh, good evening to you. Good evening to both of you. It's nice to be asked to come on to the show and share what I've got up here. You know, it's... Fantastic. It's it's such a wonderful sport that really is being ruined in today's standards, you know, compared to as well as I know it. I mean, I don't know your ages, but you know, certainly going back to when I first started in '67, having prepared a vehicle for the '67 RAC for um oh Skip Brown at AVS in Liverpool, and of course the event was cancelled. We were at the workshop ready to go down in the morning, and uh, we got a phone call, and unfortunately it was cancelled. And then unfortunately I was told by Skip that uh, his father was going down the M1 the day previous to see him off at the start, and unfortunately he crashed the car and killed. So, you know, yeah. Not a fairly inauspicious start, it must be said. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, would it be fair to say that uh, you sort of cut your rallying teeth with Skip Brown? Oh, most definitely, yeah. I mean, I finished my time late twenty. I was I was about twenty and three or four months, mm-hmm. um, and I'd had enough of serving my time. Friend of mine who just lived up the road from me was working in Liverpool, and he said, "Hey, he said there's a great company in Liverpool that's doing rallying." And then it just started from there. You know, I applied, spoke to Skip, and uh, God, we got on like a house on fire. You know, I taught him how to weld. <laughs> <laughs> that's a claim to fame. And was that your first introduction to, to rallying, Ray, or ha- had it been something that you'd been on the fringes of before that, or was it more of a just it was a career-led decision? I'd been doing various things in the garage where I saved my time. Paul, who was the boss's son, he had a 1070 Cooper S, you know. Um, he had a HRG that he used to that he used to do a little bit of sort of you know road rally type things in it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I'd been inter- I'd been interested, obviously, in motorsport for a long time. Well, before that, you know, um, racing go karts back in the early days. You know, um, I had a good friend called Tony Anziani, and his father used to work for the Ferrari team back in the thirties. You know, wow. when, when they first sort of start, you know, at Alfa, and then it went obviously to Ferrari and that. You know. Mm. And he was a he was a great a great person to talk to about uh, engineering side of motor cars. You know, you must have picked up a fair few skills when serving your time. It's not every apprentice comes out at twenty years old and that knows how to weld <laughs> now, coming out of a, a regular well, workshop. Yeah, you know, I, I I used to get all the, what they used to call the horrible jobs. 
Okay. But I used to love them because at the age of 18, I was dropping uh, Mark II, or Mark I, Mark II Jaguar engine and gearboxes out, suspension out, engine and gearbox out to replace a clutch rather than doing it the old-fashioned way, was using the tin opener and opening up the <laughs> opening up the floor to get the box out. You know, I used to love the jobs, you know. I mean, going back, oh, Christ, making my own um, mountain bikes, the age of 12 and 13, going up to the garage where I served my time. And going down to the tip, which was about a mile away, and choosing the various components of bicycles to, to make them, you know, um, modifying the front, oh, the front upright to the steering. So as I could have springs top and bottom to make the thing with suspension. Oh, it just it goes back a long way, you know, uh, even up to God's truth, I suppose the age of seven and eight, taking a skate and hammering down or making the top of it flat so as you could put a piece of board across it. And I didn't stand on it. I used to sit on it. That's why I've got knuckles that look like this, you know. <laughs> I, bet, I bet your parents loved you at that age. <laughs> well, well, I mean, something my wife always reminds me of is uh, your mother always used to say she never knew when, it, when our Raymond went out, she never knew what he'd come like, come back in like, you know. <laughs> Well, I mean, I had a superb childhood, you know. I, we didn't have a large amount of money, but God's truth, I enjoyed myself, you know. I didn't I didn't mind climbing trees and jumping out of them and all sorts of the undergrowth, you know, just as kids were playing, you know. And good what sort of... Good learning curves, you know. Mm -hmm. And what, what sort of cars was, was Skip running that time in 67 then that you were, you were preparing for him? When the first went there uh he had an x and i think it was either timo mackinen or pat ma uh pat moss mm -hmm. healy 3000 it was uh healy's wow the full the full lightweight aluminium hitch you know disc brakes all around uh four speed box with overdrive on all the gears it made it was an absolute beast it was a superb car even just to take up smithstown road and go and do a bit of a bit of testing in it, you know, it was a superb car, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, he got that from the factory, and he also got, I think it was the first time that they sort of closed competitions down. Um, obviously, they were running minis and things at the time, but they closed the Healy side of it down, and there were so many bits and pieces around, you know, crankshafts that were made at Rolls Royce. Um, they go on about the 12 ports aluminium cylinder heads now. Well, he had about four or five of them in stock, you know. Uh, and all of that went in a big skip later on and to a to a company in America, you know. In a in I shouldn't say a skip, in in, in a a container, you know. But no, I mean he did that. Then we went on to the old Mini Cooper S. Uh we ran that, we ran that. He he used to do an awful lot of road rallying with it. Um, I remember one time uh, I had a phone off, off Alan that used to work with us. My, I think two or three doors up the road from me. But at home at the time, we didn't have a phone. And Alan come round. He said, hey, he said, we've got to go in and take the van up 
and we went up to uh, where the M6 was being extended uh, up over Shap, and, and Skip had been out in the Cooper S on a night event, and he'd come over and brow into a, uh, I think it was a, a T-junction, and you could either go left or right, but unfortunately Skip went straight on into the wall, you know. And we had to go out and, and sort him out. And I say it was just where the, the, the motorway was being built at the time, you know. Uh, we managed to find a chapter sat with his brazier, you know, a cocky watchman. He was there. And, oh, come in, lads, you know, get a warm and that, you know. And then in the morning, we'd, um, we took, we, well, we turned the car back home, back to, back to uh, Liverpool, you know. Um, but after that, I think we we ran imps. We ran an early an early. What would it be in those days? It would be a group group one imp, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Scottish and a few other events with it, and then we did the full group six. And at the time uh, at AVS, um, with us using the imp and that, we'd got into um, roots competition department. And apart from obviously taking parts or getting parts from them, we were producing the Group 6 cylinder heads at the time. They were supplying us with the bird cast, bird casting, and then we were machining all the porting and that, setting up the valves and things, seats and that, um, and then doing the wheels ring conversion on it, you know, cutting the groove for the wheels ring conversions. And then it went on to Avengers and... It went from there. We did the various events. We did the Scottish in the Avenger. Um, I think that would have been about 71, I think, something like that. Um, that's why I've still got I've still got two or three scars down the back of my neck. Because he come off one stage, run along Lock Loman, and uh he said the steering's gone. What had happened? The two brackets on the cross member that hold the rack on mm-hmm. had broken off. Oh Christ! What the hell are we going to do now? You know. So at the time, the the good old um, army lads were out, of course, in the Land Rovers, you know, and they had at the first time I'd ever seen one was the little Oxys Etling Porter packs, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, he said, come on, he said, you can borrow that, you can borrow that, you know. So we got the guard off it, and I got underneath it, and I had to skip to hold the, the rack in position, and I started getting a decent big puddle, and I got quite a few good wells on it, and I got another puddle going on the near side, and then all of a sudden the puddle dropped, and it went straight down the back of my neck. <laughs> and I sort of... Wiggled my backside a bit, and it literally dropped out the back of my pants, you know. <laughs> and then finished off the well, got all that sorted off, and of course, guard back on and Skip went. And uh, Dell, who was obviously Skip's girlfriend at the time, um, she took a, a load of water and poured the water down the back of my neck, you know, to, to, to cool it off, you know. <laughs> like, great times, you know, great times, you know. What were the um the guys at Roots like to work with from a rallying point of view? Were they fairly into supporting rallying endeavours? They were, they were, yeah. I mean, there was um oh Christ, Christ we're going back now, I'm trying to remember names. There was a a chap there that used to build the empty gearboxes, uh, and I think it was 
Brian. I think I don't know whether it was Brian Wildman because I've got a name there, but I'm sure his name was Brian. And basically, we were running a competition between ourselves who could get an imp gearbox to last the longest without seizing on the bushes. <laughs> I think I got the one that skipped did the Group Six Scottish in. I got it to uh, I don't, it might have been the. Right? Might have been the RAC that he did it in. Anyway, I got it to finish, and then he turned around, Brian turned around and said, how the hell did you get it to finish? He said, every time I've tried to get one, I said, well, give it more clearance, you know. Let's face it, that the box is designed to do something maybe between 50 and 100,000 miles before it needs to come down, you know. Take it that the box is only going to do a couple of thousand miles. So increase the tolerances, get a bit more oil around it, you know, give it a mm -hmm. chance. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to be it. And I used to set them up in the lathe and just take about a thou off the bush and then give a little bit of taping and that to put a bit of pattern on it. And it seemed to work, you know. But other than that, I suppose, oh, God, I'd, I'd have to go a few years later on mm -hmm. when they were really using the Avenger uh, with Colin Malkin, you know. I I did a... Well, after I'd left Skip, I did an event with Keith Billows um, in Cyprus, and that led me back to the old... the old roots days, you know. Mm -hmm. um, as far as Skip goes... I think it was 73 when he turned around and said, well, uh, I think I'm going to have to go bankrupt, you know, and that's when it, it, it basically finished as far as AVS was concerned, you know. Mm -hmm. Did Skip have a uh, did Skip have a rally named in his honour late in the 80s? Did I recall, is I recalling that? Was there a Skip Brown rally at some point? Do I remember that correctly? Oh, there certainly was. I mean, Skip, yeah. uh, once Skip had finished AVS, I'd gone... I'd gone off to work for Keith Billows at Hatton mm -hmm. Heath, just outside Chester, you know, on mm -hmm. the A41. And Skip uh, rented a farm. It was an old cheese farm at Faddeley in outside uh, in Cheshire, you know. And that's when, just down the road on the A49, was where Skip Brown got the garage, and it was it was called Skip Brown Cars, you know. And then, of course, there was various events that Skip sponsored uh, mm -hmm. using the Sunbeam and things, you know. Mm -hmm. He seemed to stick more with the root side of it rather than go into the Ford side of things or something else, you know. Mm. So how about your association with Jeff Fielding, who I gather it was a, oh, was a key part of your career there? I mean... It, if I'm not it, jumping it, ahead too far, of course. Pardon? If I'm not jumping ahead too far. I think you're jumping quite a way ahead, actually, because <laughs> after I worked for Skip, as I say, I went for I went for the job with, with um, Keith Billows, mm -hmm. and we did events in Belgium. Uh, Keith got sponsorship from Manchester Liners Flying Fish, which was a container company. You know, containers were loaded in Manchester, which they're not now, and, and shipped to Canada. Uh, then they went from Canada via the flying fish part of things 
which was across the country to the east, the, the, well, it'd be the west coast, wouldn't it? You know, mm -hmm. we did uh, Rally of the Ridge Lakes with Keith and also the Press and Regardless. Rally of the Ridge Lakes in 74, I think it was, we got a fourth overall in the World Rally Championship and that was probably the best private event that I'd ever done, you know, and got a result on, you know. Deeply impressive stuff. Unfortunately, on uh, on the press on regardless, he put it off into a sand pit and couldn't get out, you know. So, you know. Was was that in an Avenger? No, no, that was an Escort. Escort, no. Ford Escort, you know. Mm. Yeah, Twin Cam. Back I in the it. day. I got, banned from, I got banned from driving. <laughs> uh, so I... I I'd uh, done jobs in various garages not far from me here, you know. Um, what did you make of the uh, oh, the Mark One Escort when you first when you first got your hands on it? Mark One was super little car, you know, uh, simple, absolutely simple. You know, you couldn't get much more simple than a Mark a Mark One Escort. Mm -hmm. you know, to the point that Toyota basically copied, copied it with the Corolla, you know, and all the other things they did. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, before Jeff came along the scene, um, I say I, I was banned from uh, driving at the time, and I worked for a chap up the road for me, or from me, um, and he was friends with a chap called Ken Casilla. And also um, the managing director of Vernon's football pools. And the two of them got together and decided to buy the X Dry Martini powerboat, the F1 offshore powerboat. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, chap I worked for, he said, he said, how'd you fancy looking after this for them? You know, well, that led off to. Um, Rebuilding engines down at Nicholson McLaren, uh, which was the same year, 76, that uh, oh, Hunt won the world championship, you know. Um, I was building engines in the same the same workshop as they were building the DFVs and dyno in them, you know, and that. Um, did oh the European Championship with it. Uh, then we went to uh, South America, and that was six weeks over in South America doing three races over there, you know, from the Argentine up through Uruguay and into Brazil, you know. There's so many tales from that place, Jesus. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that was a wild ride. Well, I mean, that the the boat was the, the race boat was put on a trailer uh, at Middlesbrough to go over, obviously, to South America. And it was late getting there. Uh, we were in contact with the, the shipping company, and they said, well, it's going to be late, so you're not going to get it for the first race. So, we, well, where is it going to go to? Because rather than going down to um, the capital of Argentine, which I can't remember at the moment, it would go into, Punta, uh, into uh, Uruguay, Mm -hmm. um, and sh and dock there, and then it would be unloaded and brought to the Argentine, you see. So we said, well, can we not pick it up 
in the in Uruguay, you see, mm -hmm. because the boat takes so damn long to go from Uruguay to, to the Argentine, although it's only across the River Plate. I don't know mm -hmm. what they're doing, you know. But we said, well, what we'll do, we'll fly over and wait for the boat to dock. So we waited for the boat to dock and we dragged, literally dragged the tractor unit, which was down in one of the decks, or, or, you know, in one of the holes. We dragged that out by the back wheels, having cut all the tie bars and things off it, got the boat and the trailer on the dock, and we drove then to a, a, a ferry that took us across the River Plate, you know. We got across the River Plate, did that event, and then going back the other direction to go back to Uruguay to do an event, the trailer was decking out on the run-up into the boat. And the captain said, I can't let you on because I can't, I can't move it and I've got to get off to do it. I said to John, who was driving at the time, I said, take no notice of that. I said, just back off a bit and drive up and get the trailer stuck. So when the tide goes out, we can get on. And that's what we did. We got the boat. <laughs> stopped because it couldn't move we couldn't move so when the boat obviously when the tide went out the boat went down and we drove on they weren't really late. no i mean they weren't really late all they had to do is put a couple more coals under fire and you got a bit more speed you know would and these have been done, eh? would these have been uh big five liter v8 power boats i assume oh no four or five four cubic inch which mm. i think is about seven and a half liter Big block stuff. Two of them. Two big blocks, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, 600 horsepower apiece, you know. Right. And I tell you, testing those, there's three of you obviously in the boat. You know, you've got the navigator uh, who is actually doing the throttling. Then you've got the pilot who's driving. And then you've got like a riding mechanic, you know. Well, at 70 mile an hour, when the, the the driver who was Ken Casier who put most of the money into it, he said, I think I can hear a misfire. I said, I can't hear a misfire, you know. He said, well, go and have a listen to him. And you had to sort of crouch down and towards the back where you were standing, there was a round wooden structure that you could roll out the way and you could go into the engine room. And these two downgrades... Doing sort of 6,000 RPM, you know. I, no, I said, there's no misfire. I said, just carry on, Ken. You know, come on, come on, you know. And no, I mean, that was that, that was real good learning because I learned an awful lot with fuel injection on that. It was Lucas Fuel Injection, which was modified by Kinsler in America for, um, what would it be? It's Mercury TK for Aero Marine, you know. And I used an awful lot of that knowledge when I built the escorts for um, MCD, you know. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that would that would bring us up to about seventy seven when I started working for Jeff, you know. I mean, I'd known Jeff for quite a few years before that. I'd known him at AVS, you know. I'd built um, I'd built fourteen. 1420 or 1430 Cooper S lumps for his hill climb. Cooper S, you know, Jeff did an awful lot of hill climb work, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, he, he'd, at the time, 
I was still banned at the time, you know. Um, strangely enough, uh, in the powerboat side of things, I'd we'd done Cow's Torquay powerboat race, which is the race around the Isle of Man, you know. And one of the boats was late coming across the line. And it hit the wake of all the other boats that they'd gone through. The boat went up in the air. It threw the three people out of the boat. And the boat carried on in a big, big circle. It went round in a circle. And eventually, it came ashore. The tide, Fortunately, the tide was in. It came ashore, hitting the rocks just outside the main yacht club, you know. Talk about entrance. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, aluminium hull boat, this was, you know, because the aluminium hull is used also for the petrol tank. There was fuel everywhere. The police were going mad. Uh, I walked up and I said, well, I said, if you want, I can get the uh, the trailer and tractor unit out and we can, you can arrange a crane and we can lift it up and, Okay, I said, but the problem is, I said, I'm banned from driving. I said, I've been, I've been driving all around Europe and, uh, and South America, but I'm banned in this country from driving. Oh, okay, he said. So they got in touch with the chief constable off the Isle of Wight, and uh, he come down said, yeah, I said, I'm banned from He said, you're not banned from driving here, he said. <laughs> so we both went down to the yacht club, and he jumped in the passenger seat and I drove the unit and rescued the boat and got it back, you know, and about two or three weeks later I got a nice letter off him, you know, saying thank you very much for helping us and you know, so He didn't try and speed up your return to driving after that, he didn't put a letter in, in your favour somewhere else, no? <laughs> oh, no, no But then again, that's when that's when uh, Jeff come along you know, he uh, he pulled up one night Outside, he contacted and he said, uh, do you fancy building a rally car for me or looking after a rally car, you know? And that was the first blue and white rally car that he'd bought. He'd actually gone and bought it and then came and asked me if I'd want to look after it for him, you know? I said, well, I'm sorry, Jeff. I said, you know, I'm banned from driving. And Jeff, his business was in Liverpool, not far from the docks, you know, the mainland, which was obviously a car delivery company. Um, Jeff uh, was about what three mile down the M62 out of Liverpool, um, and he said, "But it's no problem." He said, "I'll come and pick you up." So when I'd finished work at about half past five, he'd, I'd have my tea. He'd, arra he'd arrive about six o'clock. He'd pick me up because he'd come from Liverpool through the tunnel. He picked me up, take me back through the tunnel, down the motorway, dropped me at his house. It was sort of a, an L-shaped double garage that he had, you know, and I'd look after the cars there. And that was, that went on until probably about early, late, late 78, early 79, when he bought um, a 2,000-square-foot new unit. At witness, which was underneath, basically underneath the main road over the bridge, you know. So was and, it was it seventy seven? You started with Jeff, then, Ray, was it? I started with Jeff about seventy seven, yeah. 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 Um, 
and then oh god again i'd say i was i was banned from driving doing that bit and it wasn't close towards getting my license back you know he'd be doing events and somebody would be driving uh i'd be sat in navigating and that to do the servicing and things um and then when he bought the unit we all went well myself to start with and then uh dave campion came along who left in 86 and went to work at ProDrive, you know. Um, there was only myself at the time and Dave, you know. And then one or two people started drifting in when we started getting the work in, you know, with the likes of Louise, with the the Fiesta that we did for her. Um, we did, oh, Mark two for Malcolm Patrick, who was my dentist at the time, you know. Um, oh, Jeff wanted a new one, so I built him a new Mark II. Mm -hmm. And he wanted another one, and we built him another one. Um, that would be leading up to, I suppose, when Roger drove one of them in Madeira. Jeff drove one in Madeira. Frank Rowland's who was famed from, obviously, um, oh, uh, Mike uh, Quicks. Mike, 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 trying to think of a name. Um, one group, one, back in the day, you know, quick, uh, quick lad, Mike. Um, and Frank navigated for Jeff, and uh, I think John Robinson navigated for... Um, for Roger, mm -hmm. and then also we had um, we had Louise and Ellen out there in the Fiesta, you know. It, it uh, sounds it sounds like, and from reading about it, that 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 you got you guys at MCD fairly quickly established like a reputation. Like the, the work started to seem to come in, and you started attracting people looking for cars to be prepared and ran reasonably it, quickly it, for for a fledgling outfit. It it did, yeah. I mean, we, we got to know. Uh, obviously, John Taylor quite well, you know. Uh, John was talking to people and work was starting to come our way and things, you know. Um, oh, I, I've always been, always been nosy but quiet, you know, uh, watching what people are doing and sieving through the information and throwing information that out that, I thought it was an absolute load of bollocks and <laughs> sort of, you know, taking the good stuff, if you like, and storing it, you know. Uh, it comes, comes back to me early days at the garage, you know. I mean, it, it sounds like you guys got to grips with the Mark II Escort in sort of the later stages of its works, works career pretty damn quickly. Um, mm. Certainly, if, if results are anything to go by, what what was it like as a car to work on? Simple, mm -hmm. absolutely simple. You know, I mean, I uh, Jeff had arranged arranged one event, which was uh, Trentham Gardens, uh, which was obviously a single venue event, part tar, part muck, gravel, you know. Um, and then the next day, which was the Sunday, 
he'd arranged to do Nosley Safari Park, where he wanted it totally all tarmac. <laughs> so we finished the event at Nosley, and I come back in the van, car on the trailer, got the car on the ramp overnight. So I'd converted it to full tarmac again, um, got it all loaded up, and then off to Nosley Safari Park, you know, snow on the ground. No point in, no point in having slick tyres when there's snow on the ground, you know. <laughs> snow and ice. But, I mean, they were, they, were, they were really good days because we were up against uh, the likes of Tony Werswick, who had a Mark II with a heart in it, you know, a two-litre two heart, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and all, 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 the, all the quite quick lads from around there, you know. Speaking of engines, when when does uh, Terry Hoyle enter the picture? Because I know you worked with him in the RED days. Was he there at MCD? Um, he obviously wasn't at MCD because obviously Terry had his own business, you mm -hmm. know, down at uh, Malden, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's difficult to think because we had... I, I built the engines to start with because I built... 1300 BDAs for Keith Billows back in the day, you know, in the Mark I. Uh, we actually beat um, Malcolm Wilson in his 1300 Screamer uh, on the Burma rally. You know, Keith was again, we were in 1300 class mm -hmm. and we beat Malcolm in, in, in his Screamer. You know, we had the 1300 BDA. The good thing about that was we had. Uh, a very rare uh, five-speed dog Jack Knight box in the car, which was only the size, basically, as the old bullet box used to be, you know, and it was mm -hmm. a very reliable box. It had drop gears coming out the back of it, which you could change that easy, you know. <clears throat> and for a 1300, there's no point in having like a, a four seven or a five one in it. You want something like a five six in it, you know, mm. and able to change the ratios, the overall ratio of the box. It was it was really handy, you know. Um, but we had used uh, Tony Drummond. Tony did uh, two or three engines for us. I actually stopped up his prem stopped up at his house and premises. Uh, I think twice overnight to uh, to pick up engines ready to fit the next day. You know, um, oh, it's got to be probably Dave Wild from Dave Wild Engines down in Malden again. Dave Wild worked or did his apprenticeship um, with Hart back in the day. Uh, and it was David who built the engine in the famous Black Vatnan Escort, you know, um, for Vatnan's programme. We had on loan from the factory, which was an ex-Sutton car, um, DKP. Mm -hmm. That was to be used purely as gravel, which would have been Mintex. Welsh, Scottish, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and for tarmac, we built. I built a brand new 
which was a 15-inch arch car, all done by Gartrack, you know. Um, what a car. I mean, you might have you've created you created one of the, the best, fastest and best-looking of all Mark II Escorts there. Well, so people say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're happy to hear it, Ray, as well. As... I mean, there's all sorts of trick went on in the factory, <clears throat> you know, and there's tales about the thing was long wheelbase and all this, that, you know, but it wasn't, you know. There were things done by Alan Wilkinson down there, which I suppose you could say was probably the way to do it for tarmac. Everything was lowered in as much as the the steering rack originally had two positions, was the standard position and the lowered tarmac position. But it was moved further down again. But the problem was the bottom bolt that went in the cross member, unfortunately, you couldn't use it. So the cross member had to be modified again, and the bottom bolt went in literally upwards from the bottom instead of going in at 45 degrees from the front. And that was when, again, in the early days, there was three types of steering arm. There was the standard black one, the green half tar, half gravel, and the red one, which was the full tarmac one. And that was all developed going back to the Monte cars that they built, you know. Um, tension strut was used rather than an anti-roll bar. And like today, they seem to use more compression strut today, you know. But to my mind, the testing that we did in Ireland with with Ari before the circuit, and John Taylor was with us, um, it's better under braking because it's, it stops the car from effectively lifting under braking. Mm -hmm. Tension, your, your, your com compression strut tends to make the vehicle lift a little. You know, if you watch it under tension, it doesn't. It tends to sit and break better, you know. Um, we spent two, two days over there. You know, we... Uh, I'm trying to remember now exactly where it was. I've been over so many times, up to Muckish Mountain and various places over in your neck of the woods, you know. Um, and that car wore a different registration on the circuit, didn't it? Because the DKP well, was on the... I mean, I've, I've, I've written so much about it on the glorious days of rallying, you know, or yeah. the golden years of rallying, you know. Um, DKP, as I say, was was the, the forest car, literally yeah. the forest car. That's the Rothmans livery escort, is it? You see with DKP often. It, it was, it? yeah. yeah the white it, was one. Paint, it was painted in the black Sorry. and white shell colours, you know. Mm. Um, the tarmac car was a brand new car, and it had the registration of FEK on it. Yes. It had FEK for the circuit, but when it come to the Isle of Man, DKP for some again. reason, I do not know why, because literally, I, although I had an awful lot to do with the company, I was a mushroom, really, you know. I was just there to do the job and effectively keep your mouth shut sort of thing, you know, um, which sometimes annoyed me because, I mean, I did have an awful lot of later years back in the... The Cosworth days, I had an awful lot of stand-up arguments with the, the manager that Jeff brought in after 
Dave Camping left, you know, as, as to why are you spending all this money on these uh, on these components? <laughs> I mean, I just turned around to him and said, well, you know, we're winning events, we're winning championships, what do you want me to do? And uh, uh, I just didn't know, they, I didn't like the attitude sort of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, you work, winning championships, you're working your, you're working your bollocks off effectively. Mm -hmm. Large amounts of hours. It wasn't a nine-to-five job, you know. Um, you're racking your brain as to what to do and uh, you get a car in that you don't know anything about and you are building a brand new car, effectively throwing away things that are not required and designing the car so as it can be repaired very quickly. So things aren't getting in the way for hands to get in there to do the work, you know. I mean, that was the thing. One of the comments that Harry gave uh, or, or said to me when he when I first opened the bonnet of the the black car, the black and white, the, the tarmac car, he saw it and he said, Raymond, he said, how does it work? And I said, what do you mean, how does it work? <laughs> he said, well, he said, if you look at the Sutton cars, he said, there's pipes and cables going everywhere. I said, well, you don't need all these pipes and cables. You know, if you design the thing properly when you're building it, don't use the factory stuff, you know. I mean, they were using the, the the factory loom, which come round past the exhaust. All all the looms that I used, they were made by a chap again called Dave Wilde from Chester, who was an electrician, and he made all our looms. The looms were brought along the top of the wing out of the way, or the inner wing out of the way, you know, out of the heat. So if there was any form of damage, it could be repaired quickly, you know. Mm -hmm. Um. But going back to the black and white one, the, the tarmac escort, as I say, I don't know the reason why the reg was changed back to DKP, whether it was something to do with the factory and they wanted to see that registration on it. I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> you never could have known the amount of the amount of subsequent confusion that would have caused an, an internet murmuring caused by that. <laughs> I, I must have put on probably 20 on the site, putting people right. That's what I did it last night. <laughs> Telling people, you know, it's not a Sutton car. You know, it's a Sutton Reg. Were you ever surprised by by the, the, uh, the outsized amount of mystique about that particular car? Because it really is kind of like a, you know, a bit of punches above its weight in terms of its importance and how much people, you know, like it and, and identify with it in its history. You must feel quite proud now to have been involved with such I a... I do, yeah. I feel very proud about it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, when she was on the Manx, uh, oh, there's a stage that runs south and uh, it's a bit new to, to start with and then it's got it's in the middle of the island. Uh, it's got about a, a mile straight. And we were at the end of the stage waiting for him to come through. And I could hear this thing coming through this nuclear bit and then onto that mile straight. And it sounded like a Formula 2 car coming down, you know. 
And it was literally, it was a two-litre engine, but it was a very, very special two-litre engine that they built, you know. And when Harry came to the end of the stage, I said, oh, no, all right. Well, yeah, he said, yeah, fine, no problem. I said, what were you pulling down the straight? And he said, oh, I said, I said about 10.2, you know, 10,200 RPM, you know. You know, I say it was it was a special lump. Mm-hmm. Um, it was what they call a BDT dry deck block, as the water doesn't pass between the head gasket. It goes around the back of the block and put into the back of the head. You know, um, originally it was obviously BDT, which was seventeen seventeen seventy or something like that, because it was. Two litre. Uh, the cylinder head was a BDT head, which has got the vertical exhaust flange, four bolt or four stud, rather than the three stud at about about thirty degrees, isn't it? Something like that. Um, done to BDX spec, which is a ten millimetre spark plug and very big valves in it. You know, Lucas fuel injected. Um, twin scavenge oil pump on it at the side of the block and the oil pump uh the pressure pump is in the front cover where the jack shaft is um that was uh, a problem we had on the circuit we'd done the done the first loop back into belfast outside the belfast hall there you know the town hall and uh, got an early morning call, you know, get up, get it sorted. <clears throat> and we had to be down the road. We had to be down the, the motorway. Oh, about eight or nine mile, possibly a bit more for the first service, you know. I got a crackling message on the radio. you got to get back here a bit quick, you know. Oh, got back as quick as we could back to the town hall there, and apparently they they cracked the engine up, started it, but there was no oil pressure. Oh God, you know. So I had a good look round it and that, because the the oil pump that was on it, the oil relief recirculates back into the pickup part of it. And I'm thinking, you know, I wonder if we got a a stuck relief valve or something, you know. Oh, what do you do now? So anyway, I got the van in close to the car because on the vans we had compressed air. We also had generators, which were both on the engine, you know. So I got an airline and uh, the breather out of the dry sump tank at the back was just underneath the back bumper. So I got the airline out and I shoved the airline up it and I pressurized the whole system with the engine running. And next minute, Harry said, yeah, he said, yeah, press is up, okay. Oh, I just pulled the pipe out of the way, shut the boot, and next minute the car just disappeared <laughs> at about 10,000 RPM, you know. They weren't late, but at Christ, I think he must have gone down the motorway flat in top, you know, which was probably... Probably about 115, 118 mile an hour, you know. <clears throat> what what was it like working with, with Ari at the time? You know, a newly minted world champion and, and 
you know. One uh, of the... you know it, it's, it was such a privilege because, you know, you're looking up to people like that who are world champions, but the man is likely to smash your car up, you know. But he, he did a couple of times. I've had, <laughs> had that with other people, you know. And, I mean, I've, I I couldn't afford to rally back in the day, you know, a young family and that and a, and a home to, to get going. Um, so I thought, well, if somebody wants to pay me to build the cars, I'll build them to the best I could. And and you drive them, you know. And uh, well, I say we went, the testing that we had in, in Ireland was um, most interesting because he, I, I'd used the setting that John Taylor used to use back in the day, or back in, you know, on, on the tarmac stuff he'd, he'd done in Ireland, you know. And I'd set it to that, and Harry took the car out, and he said, yeah, he said, it's okay, he said, but what have you got on the rear? So I told him we've got certain amount of poundage springs and there's a, a 60 pound helper. <clears throat> oh, okay. He said, right, right. He said, uh, right. He said, lower it, lower the spring platform about a quarter of an inch. So did both platforms and off both of them went down the road, you know, and, uh, he come back and he said, uh, Mm, okay. He said, take it up a quarter of an inch plus an eighth of an inch. So I did that. Come back. Hmm. said, that'll do, he said. He said, drop it down to where it was and come in the car with me. <clears throat> so he dropped it down, got in the car, and we went off down this road. And it was in a valley, and it was quite bumpy, you know. And he said, can you see what's happening? And I said, the back end's jumping about a bit, isn't it, you know? Yes, he said. He said, take your belt off, turn round, and get hold of the back damper. <laughs> I took my belt off heave myself over between the seats and I could put my hand on the top of the damper and I could feel it. He said, there, I said. He said, the problem is, he said, excuse me, he said, the setting that you had, he said, it was upsetting the, the valve in the damper itself and it's making the hydraulics do funny things. So, he took it back, reset it to as he wanted it, took it out again. He said, right, go on that list, you know, put your hand on it again and see what you mean. And I could put my hand on it, and it was just a normal movement. There wasn't as if the damper was kicking back, you know. And that's when he was quite happy with that. I think we altered the we altered the toe, I think another another sixteenth of an inch towing, I think it was. Uh, and he was quite happy with it, totally, you know, totally. Would Harry spend a good deal of time with you on the car, you know, or would he be kind of happy to, to walk off in the evening and, and trust trust what was going on, or, or would he take a, a good deal of time to, to inspect the car before events? No, he'd just have a good look around it, and, you know, 
I think I think once he'd driven it, and because uh, he he'd obviously uh, driven the was it uh, DKP? He'd driven that on on our forest spec, you know, and he was quite happy with that, you know. Um, and then once we'd done the testing with 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 JT uh, in Ireland, and he was happy with that. Um, no fuss from the fella, you know. He just got on with doing the job, you know. He always struck me as someone who perhaps could could almost drive around any <clears throat> setup imperfection if there was one. Oh, he's a Colin McRae, isn't he? You know, mm. that's where that's where Colin got it from. You know, does it matter? Drive the bloody thing if it's still going, whether it's going sideways, even if it's going partly backwards. You've got to get it to the end of the stage. Don't don't whinge about it. Just do it. You know. I mean, as many times I've I've come across drivers that I've worked with, and I've I've had to shout at them. You know, just get on with it. Do it. Bring it back. You know. You know, we'll fix it, sort of thing. You know. I had to go with um, Mark Lovell over things like that. You know, I told him off. You know, look, Mark said. You've got the ability to do it. Just drive it, you know. And and he did, you know. Have you got a top five of, of drivers you've given a bollocking in that respect? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I bollock quite a few of them in the day, you know. But uh, <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I gave Roger a bollocking one time on... In at the deep end, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what was Roger like to work with? <laughs> Roger was such a gentleman, you know. He uh, again, he'd get on and drive it. Doesn't matter what it was, you know. If there was a problem, drive around the problem, talk to you, you know, come in, talk to her. He'd, he'd just take you to one side and tell you what he thought the problem was, you know, and just left you really to get on and sort it, you know. Uh, it's navigators that you have problems with because they're always shouting two minutes, two minutes, you know. <laughs> We're going to take a break there and rejoin for part two next week and we'll finish up our chat with Ray. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week. So it was that 1982 saw the world champion return to the British series in which he'd honed his skills. He was driving the fastest four to date, the infamous MCD Black Escort. And joining him was a new co-driver, Terry Harriman. And that must have been, I suppose, the ultimate escort. It was just before... Escort as a competitive car was uh, had become a real obsolete, and um, it was a car we we rallied in '82, and uh, I don't think we ever really won anything, but uh, we were very very fast in uh, in that car. Oh,